Welcome everyone to the game speed for play. Does anything in particular stand out as the touchdown? This is Bernie Corbett saying play the game well. Well, welcome everyone to an extension of our platform with the games people play with Bernie Corbett. That is our uh, normal uh, space here. The games people play with Bernie Corbett. I remain Bernie Corbett uh, hosting a uh, special presentation today that we're hoping is going to be a regular presentation. We're calling it the old ball game. And uh, we're going to be dealing with some of the issues that are facing the game of baseball here in 2020 and beyond. Not that there are any issues facing baseball right now, oh, perish the thought, but uh, we thought we would put this panel together and uh, have an opportunity to uh, discuss uh, some of the uh, more compelling uh, issues that the game is facing at this current uh, COVID-19 crossroads season that we're in the process of completing. Uh, very pleased to have our panel uh, with us here today. Our topic today is going to be the baseball postseason, uh, where it's going, where it is right now, and where it is headed. And uh, that will be our point of discussion with the following as I make my introductions. And uh, with us today, we're very happy to have uh, the former general manager of the California Angels, vice president of baseball operations with the Boston Red Sox, vice president of umpiring for Major League Baseball, and uh, also president of the Arizona Fall League. Uh, overall, over a half century in baseball, the native of Fallbrook, California, Mr. Mike Port. Mike, welcome. Uh, great to have you with us. This was kind of a, uh, an idea that the, uh, the two of us have uh, percolated for a while, and it's great to, uh, to get it to, uh, to come to fruition this afternoon. Thanks, Bernie. Good to be with you. Absolutely. And uh, also uh, with us as we proceed here, I go from the lower right-hand uh, corner and we go uh, to the lower left. Uh, we have a grizzled veteran baseball scribe. Uh, has covered the game for 40-plus years. Uh, notably with the Boston Herald for about a quarter century, and now a senior writer with The Athletic, uh, also no stranger to uh, other media outlets uh, around Boston and beyond with WEI, Nesson, uh, ESPN, etc. And uh, also, going to give him a plug right here, who better than this man? We're going to call the show the old ball game. He is the all-time baseball game guy uh, with a great event that he puts together every year in Cambridge, Mass. at St. Peter's Field. Thus the fact that I'm wearing my House of David jersey, which is, of course, an Ebbetsfield flannel. Uh, Steve Buckley is joining us. Steve, great to have you with us here today. Great to be here, and we do have that exact House of David uniform in our game, so. Okay. I didn't steal it, so I was going to say I have an alibi. <clears throat> as Woody Allen said, I was nowhere near Oakland. And uh, as we go to the upper left-hand corner, we have with us, I think, is he off the boat here this afternoon? Did you already take your folks out here today? We have with us. Uh, previous guest uh, profiled on the games people play. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We bonded with him uh, in terms of uh, baseball and beyond. He was known as the sheriff and uh, his Major League Baseball career from 1988 to 2001. Also uh, Major League coach with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, the pride of Fort Polk, Louisiana. Uh, out of the bullpen, I'm going to signal for the left-hander, Norm Charlton. Norm, welcome. Great to have you with us. Nice to be here. Well, uh, panel, once again, the business at hand is baseball in the postseason. And uh, uh, as a bit of a history lesson, I guess, particularly to maybe the, uh, the people not familiar, baseball postseason was pretty simple from uh, roughly 1903 to 1968. You had an American League, you had a National League, and you had a World Series with the two teams playing a best of seven, uh, with the exception of uh, 
some years early on that there was a best of nine series, actually. And uh, things uh, did not change, even though uh, baseball expanded 1961-62 uh, to 10 teams, expanded again in 1969. And that proved to be the demarcation line for baseball to go to divisional play in 1969 and uh, thus go to a modified playoff system with the four division champions participating. Uh, since evolved uh, with the wild cards, now multiple wild cards. And uh, dare I say it, it's, uh, well, guys, I think it's starting to look like a game show. If you look at some of the proposals that Major League Baseball is looking at beyond the collective bargaining agreement uh, toward 2022 in terms of how the post might be ended further. So I'm just going to throw it out there. I guess we'll, uh, we'll start with uh, the executive branch, if you will, uh, for a uh, comment uh, from uh, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Port, and we'll just go right around to get us started. Uh, Mike, as far as the system that did exist most recently uh, with the four divisions and then the expansion to the one wild card now to the two, your perspective as somebody that's been in the game really uh, from the time of the advent of the four divisions how do you see it in terms of how much is enough or have we reached the point of too much or are we across the point of maybe contemplating too much in terms of what actually constitutes postseason baseball? Well, Ernie, as, uh, as you know, I, I categorize myself as an arch conservative baseball dinosaur. <laughs> and uh, and I, uh, I'm a, a product of an era where uh, I always believed in what the, the late Yankee general manager George Weiss used to say uh, when he said, there is no such thing as second place. You are either first or you are nothing. So uh, for so long uh, in baseball, we had a system where the two best teams in each league met and played it off to find out who the world champion was. Uh, the wild card has diminished that a bit. I can understand the rationale behind it. Uh, but where we are now, and perhaps it's, uh, it's a product of the, the COVID-19 era, uh, I'm reminded that uh, years ago, uh, with a club I was with, we sold a pitcher to the Mexican League. And it was at the winter meetings in December. And, uh, and when uh, we asked the pitcher if he would report to the Mexican club, uh, he said he wanted to know how much he would earn. Again, bearing in mind this was at the winter meetings in December. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Mexican League owner said that uh, the season is X number of months long, so you'll make so much, and then we're in the playoffs. And the pitcher, uh, not, not lacking any intelligence on his part, said, wait a minute, this is December. How do you know you're going to be in the playoffs? And the Mexican League club owner said, this is the Mexican League everybody's in the playoffs. So it becomes a matter, uh, aside from this year, if this becomes the norm, uh, a lot of people have the question, and I read something earlier today that said, what is the point of playing 162 games then? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, a, a point uh, that we have now reached, if not surpassed, where the two best teams need to, to play off. Fortunately, as things have played out, I believe the two teams involved presently in the World Series have the best regular season records, and perhaps there's some poetic justice to that. Uh, but the danger otherwise, uh, someone once told me that given the second wild card, uh, and Buck might have a thought on this, that it was hypothetically possible that a team that finished third in its division could wind up as the world champion. And 
as a purist, I don't think that's the way it was meant to be. Uh, I wonder now if uh, those teams that were in this year's postseason and have now gone home, uh, if they'll be having ceremonies next year to be awarded their participation trophies. So, <laughs> yeah, we're right, to, we're right back to youth soccer now, Mike. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, indeed, there certainly is a danger, and I think baseball uh, somewhat uh, saved themselves here. Uh, with the fact that the two teams with the best records are infected by playing in the World Series. And there was a distinct possibility that that was not going to happen. It was no guarantee. Uh, Steve, we bring you in uh, for your comment about uh, when it was okay, when it was uh, not broke, when did it need to be fixed, your perspective on the postseason, the fact that we have to uh, maybe uh, uh, indicate the fact that we're both hardcore Bostonians, the pride of Somerville, the pride of Stoneham, a uh, little bit of rooting interest with the Red Sox over the course of our lives. And if not for the wild card, you could say, God save the Red Sox for the wild card and finally winning that first world championship in 2004. Well, I, I agree with Mike on, on a lot of points. And, uh, and, and I always use the 1967 season where you had four teams going into the final two or three days of the season with a chance to win the American League pennant. Obviously the Red Sox, the White Sox, uh, the Tigers, and the Angels are in there for a bit, and, and the Twins, I'm sorry. Twins, yep. and, uh, and it came down to that final season. The Red Sox had to beat the Twins, and then the Tigers had to lose to the Angels in the second game of a doubleheader. And it was, and I'm 64 years old now, it's, I was 11 then, and it was still thrilling to think of it. Unfortunately, the seasons don't always play out that way. And you had teams in the pre-division era, uh, the, the 54 Indians and a lot of those Yankees teams, where they would have the pennant wrapped up by Memorial Day to some degree. And obviously you had the outliers like the Dodgers in 51, the Giants. But you, you lose the entire scheme of baseball for the second half of the season if teams run away with it. So I was okay in 69. I was okay with the two divisions, Mets, Braves, Orioles, Twins. Yep. And I was even okay with the wild card in the second. The, the way they've done it this season, where I do agree with Mike, the, the, the thought the idea of having a sub-500 team. And I think the 73 Mets, Mike, help me out. They won 82 games. They, they just barely were over 500. They well, had that great run in buck. I think it was 83 and 79 that year. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the Cardinals had that East Division wrapped up, and then the Mets were, won 22 games in September, just got over 500 and won the uh, East Division, then they went to the World Series. Uh, so you do have those, but... Uh, I, I would have been very upset if we had a sub-500 team. And one other quick point, one, one cool thing about 86, and this is Mike Port's Angels, is that we, we knew we were going to have an Angels Red Sox series. And I got a big kick out of reading all the advanced copy. Uh, Bob Ryan, my dear friend from the Boston Globe, went out to Anaheim just to do advanced stuff on the Angels for the postseason. And he still talks about it. He just happened to be there when Joe Colley threw his no-hitter. Um, uh, Angels, White Sox, Mike, I think it was. And yes. uh, so um, there, there was always that buildup. And obviously some of that's lacking now because you don't really have any idea who you're going to play in the playoffs because of all the wild cards. Norm, when I uh, called you uh, to broach the subject of joining us for this panel, I said uh, the first topic is going to be postseason. And Norm very eloquently pointed out, are you talking about what's going, the crap that's going on now? or you're talking about the postseason. So with that intro, from the players' perspective, Norm, about what's gone on, obviously, in this asterisk COVID year, as opposed to what you'd like to see going on 
when we hopefully get back to a more conventional season in terms of a postseason format? Well, let, let's hope to God that this is just a COVID-19, you know, snafu deal here. Uh, with them throwing together a season uh, and, and a playoffs in order to, to make a little bit of money, uh, in order to justify paying the players, in order for the owners to make a little bit of money and, and save a little bit of money. But let's hope this goes out the window as COVID fades away, our election comes along, and, and most of this goes away. Um, I like the wild card. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like 32 wild cards. I mean, everybody doesn't get to make the playoffs. One of the things that's beautiful about baseball is that you play 162 games. It's not a sprint. It's a grind. And those teams, those teams that are, have the best players and those teams that have depth uh, and those teams that, that make really good decisions, uh, that make good trades and, and, and stock their AAA club and can go get help when they need it, um, those are the teams that ought to be in the playoffs and those are the teams that deserve to be there and those are the teams that, that should have a chance of winning um, where, you know, where everybody gets to go to the, to the party and you get kind of hot in the last month or the last three weeks. And, and, you know, you beat somebody that has, has got a quick injury, you know, a Justin Verlander goes down and, and you manage to beat the Astros because they're a little bit short on pitching. And then you have a, a good series. The next thing you know, damn near a sub 500 team in the world series. That's, that's not what baseball is about in my opinion. Um, I would consider myself an old school baseball player. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know if I can speak for the players of today uh, well at all. I, I don't know how they feel about any of this. I feel like I'm very out of touch because this is not a game that I played. Um, and I don't like any part of it. Well, we, we'll be getting other parts that you don't like uh, over the course of what we hope is going to be our series here. Uh, Mike, back to you in terms of the whole concept of what constitutes a playoff team from an executive standpoint. I mean, there's, there's such a thing as job security for a guy who's a general manager or a manager. I mean, jobs are won and lost. Uh, you know, when you go into the, in the owner, in your case, for many years, it was Mr. Autry. Uh, well, Mr. Autry, we were a playoff team last year. Uh, you know, you can make that argument. So, you know, when, when, does, when is too much – too much or when is too many too many are you okay with one or two wild cards and moving forward as opposed to some of these other crazy proposals that we hit us in 2022 well i would guess that uh, given what we look at now murray the the one wild card that we had since uh what buck about 1995 97 thereabouts yep uh, i can i can see a, a certain rationale there uh, because it did serve to to stimulate interest uh, on the part of pretty much everybody involved. Uh, if I may, I, I just want to go back. I had one thought about uh, what Buck said about uh, a team uh, running away with it. Uh, reflecting on my own experience uh, with the Angels, uh, we were in the division with Kansas City. And I cannot tell you quite, quite the reverse. Uh, every year, Kansas City would seem to be slogging along until about the 4th of July, and then it's almost as if they would figure it out and here they would come and the second half of the season, they would play like gangbusters. So, uh, you know, granted people could run away with it. Uh, on the other hand, there are people who seem to get their, their act together for the, the second half of the season. But I think a minimal number of people, uh, appreciating what Norm mentioned, uh, I think a minimal number of people uh, belong or are deserving of being in the postseason. Uh, 
because otherwise, as mentioned, what's the point of playing, whether it be a 60-game season or uh, certainly 162 games? Steve, from a, uh, a media perspective, and obviously baseball, we've seen interest Wayne, in baseball, there's a, a generation gap, if you will, to attract, certainly to attract new fans, let alone uh, to keep fans interested. W what do you see in terms of the fact that, I mean, you've been a beat writer. I mean, was there anything worse as a beat writer in some of those bad years for the Red Sox where it's Memorial Day and you're 15 games out and you're trying to keep interest and you're trying to write about a team that might be woefully out of it very early on with maybe looking at 80 and 90 games to go? Well, I, I think the best way for me to answer that question is to step outside my purview as a sports writer because I, I love baseball and uh, I, I have since I was a little child and uh, I will continue for the rest of my life to be a big baseball fan. So, mm -hmm. so me, as, as, a, as a student of the game, I didn't need the team to be good to have interest in it. And and if I can brag on myself, I like to think that when I was a beat writer back in the 80s, um, that I look at the 89 Red Sox, they, they were out of it and they, they kind of skidded along for a long time and they never got close enough to win it. Uh, I think that was the year Toronto and Detroit had that big battle uh, for the AL East. But I like to think that I always found interesting stories to write, uh, that, that when I read the story, I said, oh, that was good. And I could find a... Danny Heap to do a story on just to pick a guy who was on that team uh, to, to find something interesting. Uh, but to approach it from a fan standpoint, where it, when I was a kid, it was the World Series uh, th that we would run home, the games were a day, we couldn't wait. And I watched, I watched Colfax and the Twins in 65, the Orioles and Dodgers in 66, obviously the Red Sox and uh, the Tigers and Cardinals in, in 68 and was glued to the set. I, I loved the 69 Mets. I loved the 69 Mets uh, with what they did to that great Orioles team. And, but that was me. And now in the year 2020, with the internet, with social media, with, with video games and travel, there's so much more going on that if you wanna make the game attractive to younger fans, you need to tweak it. Now, I'm, I, I don't wanna go crazy here, but there's no doubt in my mind the game has to be sped up. And I think that can be done off the field, uh, shorter breaks between innings. And I know there's television revenue to take in mind and so forth. But, but I, I firmly believe that the players themselves, the pitcher who walks around the mound, and remember back in the day, we used to call Mike Hargrove the human rain delay because he'd step out of the box. And yep. Ken Harrelson did that when he played. And there, Ken Agliaro did it. And um, I would like to see the pitcher get the ball and throw the ball and the batter stay in the bat and just speed the game up. That to me is the biggest problem I see facing baseball. And I think it's, it's fixable. Norm, you played on a, a Seattle, as we talked about when we did uh, the interview on the games people play, obviously a record setting, you played on a 116 win team that didn't win a world championship. You also played on a team uh, about 30 summers ago that did win a world series championship and won far less games during the course of the regular season. From a player's perspective, uh, you obviously, your reputation, uh, you told me right at the beginning of our interview, no stats, don't bring the stats to the table, I'm not interested, it was all about W's and L's. From a player's perspective and, a competitive, and the competitive side of it, what about a situation where the interest level 
but being in it, being in a wild card race as opposed to a divisional race, being able to stimulate that, not for Norm Charlton, but maybe some of the meatheads that were around him in some of those clubhouses that needed to be a little bit more interested and a little bit more engaged. I, I think, I think baseball is the problem right now. I, I don't think it's the, I don't like the playoff series, the setup that we have right now. Uh, I think baseball is its own problem right now and, and the length of the game and not putting the ball in play and the strikeouts and everybody loves to see a home run, but, but, but the game is boring right now. Um, the game is not fast. Um, you've got guys like, I mean, I said Hargrove was a human rain delay. I remember Rick Sutcliffe was a human rain delay. Jesus. I mean, we got Browning on the mound going to get Sutcliffe. We, we should have a sub two hour game, but we got a, we got a post four hour game. It's, it's, that part of it is ridiculous. That part of it is very, very fixable. You go to the players and say, look, you're costing yourselves money. The longer the game goes on, the less viewership you have, um, and you're costing yourselves money in, in the long run. I think, I think baseball, the game of baseball right now and the things that are being done in the game of baseball, I think, are driving fans away. Um, look, there are thousands upon thousands of people around this country that are Braves fans and Cubs fans because they could watch it on TV for nothing. You've got all sorts of – I mean, I live in Rockport. I'm two and a half hours from Houston. They black our games out. Our kids don't get to see Astro games. If we want to – if anybody from our town wants to go to a game, we're going to jump in the car and we're going to drive the game. We're going to take our kids to the game. It doesn't matter whether it's on TV or not. If our kids got to watch it on a, on a regular basis at night, our, we go probably ten times to Houston to watch a game. And, and you know what? Hey, Houston's pretty cool. Let's go up to Dallas. That's a five-hour drive. We'd go up to Dallas if we got to watch some of their games. Atlanta and Chicago did a wonderful thing. They have fans all over the world that have never been to Atlanta, that have never been to Chicago, and watched a game when they could come home from school, eat dinner, and watch a game and go to bed before 2 in the morning on a game that started at 7 because guys like Tom Brown got the ball, guys got in the box, he threw the ball, the guy hit the ball, he went out of the ballpark or returned a double play, and the game was exciting, and kids could get into it, and parents could get into it, and it wasn't boring. The game of baseball right now and the things they're doing to it is the problem. That's why kids are going and playing soccer. That's why kids are going and playing whatever else they're doing. Tiddlywinks, the flute, the band, mowing yard, I don't care. It, nobody, nobody that's young right now who has the options of computers and the Internet and everything available to them in the world right now wants to sit down and watch a four-and-a-half-hour baseball game. Don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. My kids don't want to do it. Bernie, I must tell you what, uh, what transpired last night. Uh, I, uh, I tuned into the, uh, the World Series, uh, and I, I watched uh, six pitches. That's how long I lasted uh, because uh, whoever was on the mound uh, with nobody on base would come set and ponder, I think, what he was going to do uh, as if he had eight men on base, uh, make one pitch uh, that the hitter would take, then the hitter would step out, take a couple practice swings, step back in, repeat. Uh, nothing having happened over six pitches, I tuned out. I went back to reruns of, of something else because Norm is right. Uh, the game today, uh, many people have mentioned to me, doesn't even have the connotation of action let alone action uh, with regard to a ball 
as we know, being put into play on average once every three and a half to four minutes. So uh, Norm is right on point. Uh, baseball is sometimes its own worst enemy. Uh, I would tell you that back when we started the Arizona Fall League, and this does go back to 1991-92, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the average time of game that first year in the Fall League was two hours and 23 minutes. And of course, people's first reaction is, well, you didn't have commercial time between innings. No, we didn't. But the team still had to switch sides and warm up. And what transpired was that the realization uh, the players control the game. And it's a much better game for them when they have, when they move around, when they have some activity. Uh, it was an expansion year and it was explained to, uh, to each club that uh, people were going to be out looking for people to draft in the expansion draft, uh, that they should show good hustle, play with enthusiasm, and the players, to their credit, took to it. They did not make a mockery of it, but it resulted in the pitchers working with some dispatch, infielders being on their toes, hitters being ready to swing the bat, and resulted in two-hour and 23-minute average game time. But what I see now is a far departure from uh, anything that we had seen, well, let's say prior to the year 2000, most certainly. You look at it, uh, Buck, you just mentioned, uh, I believe you said Sandy Koufax, the 1965 World Series. You know, baseball, the biggest stage is the World Series. My, my story, my first World Series, I'm just a little bit younger than you, that I was aware of happened to be 67 and then 1968. Just from an awareness level, let's all think of ourselves as that eight-year-old kid or 10-year-old kid. You're not even in a position, Steve, where you can watch a World Series game. I mean, not too many. I couldn't stay up until 12, 12, 31 in the morning when I was 10, maybe with a transistor radio under my pillow with Ken Coleman, maybe at best until the lights went on. But what baseball is missing there in terms of the identity, I mean, I think we've all got World Series memories where we really got attached to baseball and were really, uh, you know, had an affinity for baseball going back to a particular World Series in our life. Kids don't even have that opportunity now. Yeah, when, when the 67 World Series was played, I was in the sixth grade at Longfellow School in Cambridge. I think the games began at two. And they couldn't let us out early for some reason, but they did bring in TVs to every classroom. So we would watch the first couple of innings of the World Series and then stay after class if need be until there was a, a commercial between innings. And then every one of us would run home as fast as we could and put the TV on at home. And there was obviously magic in that. Uh, we obviously can't play World Series games in the daytime now because there's just too much money at stake in prime time. Uh, but I don't understand why they can't start the games at seven because you, you increase the chances of people staying into the late innings, yep. number one. And uh, last night's game did go down to the wire. I mean, the, the Dodgers couldn't pull it out, but it was an interesting game to watch till the end. But then I look up and it's pretty late at night. So to Norm's point uh, about speeding up the game uh, and, and, and somehow taking away this element where every at bat is a, a home run, a walk or a strikeout, uh, to, you know, I, I, I like the, the six, four, three double play. I like the slow, slow roller up the, up the bag and the third baseman bare hands the ball and throws it or the deep fly and just seeing that kind of action baseball. 
And uh, you got to speed the games up. And if the game's going to be at night, which I recognize has to happen, you can't play in the year 2020. You can't play World Series games at two in the afternoon. But you, I don't see why you can't begin them at seven and speed the games up. And you, you do run the risk of losing an entire generation of young baseball fans. And that's an issue. If you don't play them at, if you don't play them at two o'clock, by by twenty thirty five, we're not going to have any baseball players. Yeah, the kids are going to be gone. The we all of us used to rush home to watch World Series games. Uh, now, granted, we're old. Okay, we didn't have a lot else to do besides go in the go in the in the front yard and you know and play tackle football or play wiffle ball. We did not have, none of us had the things available to us that my kids have available on a daily basis when they hop on this computer. Baseball is having to compete with so much other stuff that it didn't have to compete with when we were young. Uh, we looked forward to that. Um, man, I get it. You got to play those games at night because that's where the money is. That's where the, that's where the media revenue uh, is. Yet, Let's see what let's see what that looks like after the World Series. Let's see how far down that is, and and, and I, I think that's going there's going to be some other contributing factors to why viewership of baseball is down for some of the political stuff they've done. But on the whole, I think you can see attendance going down and down and down. And if we don't do some things to speed up the game, we play games at midnight because nobody's going to watch, and if nobody's watching, I, I just, it, doesn't, I can... it doesn't matter. If, if I could jump in, Norm, just to be clear, you're not advocating getting games at 2 o'clock again, though, right? Wait, no, yeah, but, but you can start a game at 5. Yeah, I, I think you'd have the same problem. And, again, I, in spirit, I'm with you 100%. But I don't think, like, Taco Bell is going to invest millions of dollars in advertising, getting its message out during the World Series for a 5 o'clock start in a post-COVID era when millions of people, and, and as a Bostonian, I understand traffic better than anybody, when you, you've got hundreds and thousands of people sitting on the expressway in Route 128, and in, in Southern California is a whole different kettle of fish. People unable to watch the games because it's, it's just not at a time of day when people can sit down and watch. So five o'clock, I'd have an issue with seven o'clock. I can't fathom why that's not the norm. But I don't think it's gonna matter when nobody's gonna watch, nobody's gonna watch anyway. Five years from now, viewership's going to be – Taco Bell's not going to spend 29 cents on putting Taco Bell I – don't, I don't care when the game is. If yeah. nobody's watching it, nobody's going to spend big money, and the revenue stream is going to go down and down and down. And the players one day are going to look up and go, what in the hell happened? Where, these well, guys well, before really made, made all this money. Well, where did all the money go? Is that the ratings were actually higher for Major League Baseball and Game 1 of the World Series than for the NBA Finals. Uh, well, which, okay, which so probably... three people watched the Finals. Did they, I mean, and most of the people that I know don't even know that the NBA had a Finals and could give a shit less about watching it. That is <laughs> the about, worst stuff on sports. That is the worst stuff on TV as far as – and they have kicked themselves in the nuts so bad with the political stuff they've done that their viewership is way down. And I'm guessing – Baseball is probably way down as well, uh, and I and I think there's probably multiple multiple reasons why viewership is down. Well, I think that's true, and I think the main reason for that is that, that there was no fan attendance this season. 
far fewer opportunities for people to embrace their team, any team. And people were caught up in whatever they were doing in the COVID era. So if you, if you take away an entire season of attendance, and then you boil it down to 60 games, obviously, I think we all knew attendance for all four sports, uh, ratings rather were going to drop. But, but, but let's look at the other side of that coin. So you have had the ability to virtually not go and see a baseball game. You cannot go and see a baseball game. So maybe when the playoffs gets here, people should be dying to watch a baseball game. High energy playoff baseball. Not happening. It's not happening. I think our viewership is going down and down and down. And it's going to be hard, hard, hard to get it back. I think there's lots. I, I can make you a promise here where I live. There is lots going on with baseball viewership that has nothing to do with the game. It has nothing to do with length of the game. It has to do with the political crap that has gone on, uh, that baseball has done. Uh, I can promise you what the NBA has done politically, and I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, I don't care if you're from Mars. What they have done politically uh, has damaged their game probably beyond repair. Um, and I think baseball has done some of the same stuff, uh, and it has hurt their viewership. I know it has hurt their viewership here. Um, but the length, also the length of the game uh, in, the, in the non-action of the game uh, has hurt them so bad that um, I think they've got to make major changes. I think they've got to look themselves square in the face and go, we got bigger problems here than we want to admit. Well, bear in mind that Major League attendance has been declining in each of the last seven years. And whether that is time of game, uh, whether that is the, uh, the broadcast schedule, uh, you know, time and pace of game, I think also goes to the preponderance of information. It uh, becomes in-game, uh, as I see it, uh, paralysis by analysis. And Norm, I suspect when, when you played, certainly you had pregame meetings uh, reviewing scouting reports and so forth, and maybe uh, updates or conversations in the dugout. But now it would seem that uh, the analytical element uh, pervades just about every pitch. People have to think more. People are more concerned about what they throw. Uh, you've got uh, people in the dugout uh, reviewing information, giving signs they relay to the catcher. The catcher relays it to the, uh, the pitcher. Uh, then the pitcher, almost as if he's trying to decode what he's been, been told. So uh, a number of problems to be confronted. Uh, back to uh, the, the broadcast schedule for the World Series, I'm just wondering if maybe as a starting point, uh, one would ever consider if not Saturday and Sunday day games for the World Series, uh, at least a Sunday day game, because guys are used to in the regular season playing a, a Friday night, perhaps a Saturday day game or a Saturday night game and then a Sunday day game. And maybe that would do something as a minimal step to help improve viewership. But right now, uh, you know, baseball, you're right. They've got a myriad of problems but the only way they seem to see able to fix it is through what I read earlier today was referred to as gimmicks. Yeah, we, we gotta, uh, we're gonna welcome in, I'm gonna announce that if 
nice Sherm fella here for you, Buck. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, now Pitch it, Tom Pachorek. Thank you, Pachorek. Uh, we have so, Tom Pachorek coming in also to join us. Okay, just want to let Tom, you with us? Tom, can you? He's not okay. I guess he's not in yet. Any, anyway, um, hopefully we'll get Tom in. Uh, one of the uh, one of one of the uh, points that I wanted to make here. Uh, about so, Bernie, if you don't mind, if I can interject, I have to, I have a okay uh, a phone interview coming up at okay. uh, two minutes four forty five. So okay. I have to take my leave. I apologize. That, that that's okay, Steve. I was going to say we'll 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 go back to Steve. I'm doing a better job here than uh, anybody named Wallace. Uh, Steve, any final comments be before you depart? We hope Tom Pachurik will be coming in to uh, take your place here. I'm just playing the percentages here with the next pitcher. Was it Pachurik was doing the White Sox color in 1988? Yes, he was with the Hawk for a number of years and survived it. Because I, I, I wish I was with him because I, I have a vivid memory. I covered the Yankees in 88, and uh, Billy Martin was the manager. We were at Comiskey, and Billy was short on pitching. He had asked John Candelaria, can I get one – batter out of you tonight uh it was his side session and candy said yeah so about the eighth inning tight spot he brings in candy to pitch to steve lyons who was a, a younger player back then and and three pitches he struck uh steve lyons out and i just remember going into the white Sox clubhouse uh the yankees clubhouse afterwards and we were talking to candy and pachura comes walking in and i just this isn't it's just a memory i have and pachura says to candy he says, Candy, why'd you throw that boy all curveballs? I just, and that's just a, a goopy memory I have of covering the Yankees and the Billy Martin era, and I'll leave you with that. Okay. Steve, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, we hope to bring you back on uh, another Thank edition you. of the old ball game. I Norm, think... it was nice to meet you on the little Zoom session, and Mike, as always, my good friend, good to see you. As you see you, John Lennon said, I think you passed the audition, Steve. i see you later. Okay. Steve Buckley with us, ladies and gentlemen. We hope uh, Tom Pachurik uh, will be coming in to join us. Uh, I just got to tell uh, you, you guys here, I'll confide in you, that I don't know if it was the last ditch attempt to bring back day games in the World Series, but uh, I happen to be I'm, – I'm old and I live in New England, so I'm actually a New York football Giants fan and season ticket holder, so I'm a bit of a dinosaur too in my own right, Mike, in that regard in terms of football. Uh, not recognizing the existence of the Patriots. Have they done anything in the last 20 years? I really haven't uh, noticed. But uh, I was at, I had the good fortune to be at the Super Bowl with the Giants and the Broncos in Pasadena in 1987. And I got the ticket from uh, Jack Craig, who was the original sports media critic for the Boston Globe. He also had a column in the, in the Sporting News. And I went in and took my seat. You know, I'm 25 years old and I got my, you know, my Phil Sims jersey on and I'm, you know, Joe Fan. And I, you know, kind of took stock of who was sitting around because this ticket had come from ABC Sports. And I looked around and I said, oh, geez, people are all yelling, missed the tag. Bob Uecker was in front of me. Willie Davis, the old Packer, had flipped the coin. Willie oh, Davis was in my section. Magic Johnson, Frank Gifford. All these people were around me. And then I turned next to me, a nice young fellow, very well-dressed, especially for the Super Bowl, and had a young lady with him, and there was an older couple. Well, at any rate, I sat next to P.E. Uberoth and his family. So at halftime of the Super Bowl in 1987, I want to tell you, Norm, Mike, the rest of the Eyewitness News team, even then I was carrying the flag for baseball. I'm standing there with Peter Ruperoth, and I, I got the commissioner of baseball's attention. I said, Peter, is there any chance, I might have said Mr. Ubroth, I was 25, is there any chance we can get any day games back in the World Series? Unfortunately, it was a short conversation. <laughs>
<laughs> he didn't entertain it to, to any degree. But, guys, if we can get away from 837 first pitch, I think we'd be doing a great service to future generations of, uh, of baseball. I think we can all agree on that, that uh, that's not an optimal time to be trying to attract a new audience to the sport, a younger audience. We've got to go and address – baseball has to go and address multiple, multiple, multiple deals. The analytics in the game, um, every pitch – it's a, it's a timeout. It's a, we're doing this, we're doing that. I mean, we're taking so long between pitches because we're trying to figure out this and trying to figure out that. Uh, the instant replays, the this and the that. Let's take all the electronics away from the game, 30 minutes, out of the dugout, away from the game, 30 minutes prior to the start of the game. Let's have no, let's not have the manager Say okay, uh, hold on. I want to. I want to question this call and let me look into the dugout. And it takes eighty-three seconds for them to give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. No, the umpire got it right or no, they got it wrong. Let's not do that. Let's take it all out. Let let's let's say okay, players, uh, we've got a restroom down there by the by the dugout. Let's say you're not allowed to go back into the clubhouse during the game. Uh, let's do some things to speed the game up and have some games where we're a Tom Browning game. We're an hour and 51 minutes. Uh, kids can watch it. People can watch it. It's enjoyable. There, there's, there's facet after facet after facet of the game that needs to be addressed before we go to things like a circus in center field or putting a man on second to start the 10th inning. This game has been a great game. It has had fans. It has been baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet for a billion years in this country. And now we're deciding to change it and make it some sort of freak sideshow. Um, I get it. You've got, you've got to do different things to compete. Baseball has a great product. Um, in this day and age right now, with everything that's gone on politically, with COVID, baseball missed a golden opportunity not to do some of the things they've done and put an old traditional conservative product on the field and say, this is what we got. Let's go with it. I think it works. I think it works, but the game has got to be faster. Norm, I, I totally agree. In fact, uh, over last winter when they had the uh, the debacle with the with the Astros about the, the cheating scandal and so forth, current commissioner of baseball, uh, given his perspective, uh, said, we are going to have to institute more rules about the use of technology when actually you hit it in the head. De technology should have been abolished in right. the dugout. Limited out. Cut off. Out. Yeah. And, and it harkens back to something that Joel Sherman wrote in the New York Post about a year ago, uh, saying, prepare analytically, scientifically, what have you, uh, prepare all you want. Uh, look at as many spreadsheets as you want. But once the game starts, just like a tennis match, just like a boxing match, go out and play. Uh, it seems to me that players of your era, part of the ability was the capability to remember what you were supposed to do and how you were supposed to do it without having to resort to an index card that you carried in your back pocket, which is one of the things they're now allowing in this day and age. We all have them now. Written in the bill of your hat. You got to take you, you, Look, you need to go back to double A if you have to take your hat off and look at the bill of your hat to figure out what you're going to throw this guy. Because you are not prepared. 
You have not been trained properly. You don't trust your catcher. It's, it's ridiculous what goes on in the game right now and, and the length of time it takes to get 27 outs. It is absolutely ridiculous. The, the, look, the technology is wonderful. We, I'd be one of the first guys to tell you, guys are bigger, stronger, and faster, and, and, and it's, a, it's a more difficult game today. The players are better, but there's no reason it should take two days to play a baseball game. And, and the people are going to look at us and go, you guys are dinosaurs, you guys are old, you don't know what you're talking about, but something has to change because home runs are up, strikeouts are up, and attendance is down. And when attendance goes down, mm-hmm. something's wrong something's wrong. The product you're putting out there, you know what, if you're a fast food restaurant, you're not putting ice in your sodas, people are going to go somewhere else. Something is wrong. You've got to figure it out. Um, and I don't, I don't think the people over at major league baseball, I think they're smarter. I, I think they think they're, I think they have all, I think they, I think they think they have all the answers and they don't. And I, and I, Obviously, they don't because <laughs> attendance is going down. Viewership is going down. And, and they're going to sit back and they're going to blame it all on COVID for this year. And That's the out pitch. That's the out pitch. For this year. For this year. But it's a, it's a ball four inches off the plate. Yeah. It, it's, I, I, don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe COVID is the deal. And obviously, attendance is down because they have half number of games. But uh, – and viewership, I, I don't believe – I think they could have taken advantage of COVID and, and made this a wonderful thing. And, and I don't – I don't think COVID should shoulder the blame for what's going on in baseball. It's going to yeah. for this year. And they're, going to, and they're going to use COVID for four or five years down the road. Um, hell, the people here in Rockport are still using Hurricane Harvey is, is for the reasons we haven't come back. The reasons, the, the reasons things aren't fixed is because people haven't got off their tail and fixed them. Major League Baseball needs to get off their tail and address the issues that they have. Mike, I got to ask you your perspective as someone, uh, longtime executive, front office, general manager, et cetera, multiple roles, but also most recently you worked for, you were in the MLB office, you were in charge of the umpires and worked for them. What will it take the effects to be felt in Manhattan? Is it going to take a low, are they going to take a look at the sheet, COVID or no COVID, and say, boy, let's take a look at the bottom line of what our ratings were for this postseason. Man, things are really headed in the wrong direction, COVID or no COVID, you know, behind closed doors, what they'll say, and then start to think about some changes other than gimmickry. Is that what it's going to take? You know, just feel it economically. It's the economy, stupid. That's where they're going to need to feel it in order to be able to try to move forward to address some of these things? Well, Norm is right in everything he says, but as far as MLB is concerned, as a matter of opinion, uh, they, they don't get it. Uh, and they will not get it uh, as long as they have the broadcast income that they have. Uh, let's see, this is October. Uh, in August, uh, I happened to speak to a, a former colleague of mine in the commissioner's office, and he told me that the current staff of the commissioner's office uh, is comprised of people who come on board, well, well-credentialed academically, uh, come on board knowing everything about the game and think they get smarter from there. 
So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there are a number of obstacles to be overcome. They do not have enough baseball people in that office, given the size of the overall staff. Uh, the commissioner, God bless him, is a labor lawyer. The deputy commissioner, God bless him, is a labor lawyer. Uh, they have people in charge of strategy, league economics, et cetera, MBAs, law degrees, et cetera. Uh, who has played the game? They have one fellow there, I believe right now, Chris Young is their chief baseball officer, former pitcher. Uh, but uh, if, it's a, if it's a gimmick that will, they think will stimulate interest, they're gonna try it. But I think it has been shown even previous to COVID-19, as mentioned, attendance has been declining over the last seven years. And the realization of the people in New York is such that one of the very high people uh, in, in the commissioner's rankings said that that decline in attendance is because people watch on devices. They watch it streaming and so forth. Perhaps so, but that also means that if you hit a dead airtime, people are gonna tune you out. You're not getting parking revenue. You're not getting concession revenue from a, a, a business standpoint, and neither are you really seeing action. That's why they're leaving. And that's why they also are turned off not to go to the ballpark, so thus declining attendance, and they just don't get it. The solution, as we used to have a saying in the department in which I worked, uh, much though we would counsel certain people as to what could happen if we did such and such, uh, they would uh, turn a deaf ear to us, and the adage became, they're going to have to find out the hard way, and I'm sorry to say that seems to be where baseball is headed. How about a commissioner that's uh, that's really interested in the protecting the integrity of the game? How, how about a commissioner that's not here to leave his mark on the game and so that you know what his name is 20 years from now? How about a commissioner that's here that is like all the, the old good umpires used to be? You didn't even know they were there. At the end of the game, you're like, man, that guy did a really good job. Who was it? Yep. Um, how, how about a commissioner that's that guy? How about a commissioner that's not? that's not a guy that wants to make it a circus. Uh, it's a great game. It's been a great game. Figure out, figure out how to tweak it smallly, figure out how to make it work in this day and age. Um, okay. Uh, so they're, they're going to tell you that attendance is down because people are watching on devices. Well, attendance is down in little league. Attendance is down in high school baseball. Attendance is down in baseball related stuff across the board. And that has nothing to do with people watching baseball on devices. It has to do with baseball being a boring, boring game right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how to sit down and explain to my 13 year old that we're starting the inning. It's the 10th inning and we're starting the inning with the guy that struck out last inning on second base. I, I don't know how to explain that and tell him if that guy scores, where does he go? Who's, who's ERA does he go on? And, and, and so that, that relief pitcher gets a loss. He gives up a, he gives up a double in the gap on the first pitch and he gets a loss. How does that go down? What happens in arbitration to that guy? Where, what, yeah. where does that, where, where, and the other guy gets a win. He comes in and he throws three pitches and gets three outs after man on second source. He comes in and gets a win and he's got 12 wins at the end of the year. Where does that guy as a reliever fall in against Dennis Eckersley? Hmm. Where, 
where is the it's to me it's unbelievable what's happening it, it really is I, I just it's I've, fixable i've lived in this location uh, where i am for uh, eight years now and uh, behind me there's a large green belt area uh, often there are kids out there uh, you know throwing a football playing soccer what have you for the first time two weeks ago for the first time in eight years i saw a kid out there playing catch two kids playing catch eight years yeah just uh it is just uh, which is an irritation to me because when this commissioner took office i seem to recall he stated that one of his aspirations was quote to grow the game and aside from what's going on with major league baseball it fails me uh, in my understanding to see how you grow the game when you eliminate minor league clubs a thousand playing jobs reduce the number of rounds in the draft uh, in the name of quote efficiency uh, again it's it's a complete lack of understanding and baseball is uh, it's on a downhill slope and it's going to pay the price i, I just got to ask uh, tom pachurik tom if you can uh, hear me tom uh, unmute if you can hear me, we're trying to get Tom in. If we, hopefully we can get him in here before we, we wrap up. Uh, Mike, you put the numbers in front of me recently, which were very, uh, very telling uh, and revealing uh, relative to the recent baseball. I don't know if Norm might be aware of this, but we're going we're to make Norm aware of this. We're going to get Norm angry all over again. But uh, the, you, we were talking about the Red Sox. You and I are both, you were part of the Red Sox organization. I have a number of friends in the Red Sox organization. I'm a longtime season ticket holder. I'm a paying customer. I'm the paying customer here, guys, since 1987 and beyond, but as a season ticket holder for over 30 years. And you talked about the layoffs with the Red Sox and related a couple of stories which were really, really very sad, if not tragic, about people that were laid off. And then you went on to tell me what the particulars are of the recent baseball renegotiation for postseason rights with, I think it was with TBS, and what that meant to the teams to the tune of what it's an eight-year deal and what the revenue that they're going to recoup from this postseason deal uh my memory murray is that this postseason uh, they were anxious to get to postseason because yeah. it meant uh one million dollars billion with a b uh, right. for major league baseball and then a just concluded uh negotiation for i believe it was seven years uh for uh, oh, many billions of dollars, uh, seven or eight, uh, more than seven or eight billion dollars. Uh, so the broadcast revenue has been coming in. However, if Major League Baseball, appreciating the points that Norm has made, if Major League Baseball can't get its act together, they're going to find that revenue stream diminishing, if not dying out. So uh, somebody needs to, to wake up, uh, I fear, and it's a fear that I have that uh, uh, somebody, the way they seem to presently do things in New York, uh, as far as speeding up the game, I fear that the next idea that someone will come up with, let alone, Norm, having to explain to your, your son uh, why they start extra innings with a man on second base, uh, I can just envision one of those meetings at MLB with somebody raising their hands saying, I have an idea, why don't we make it three balls for a walk and two ball and two strikes and you're out. And that will speed up the game immensely. Uh, it will also take a, an immense chink out of the tradition. And it, in my opinion, it will further serve to kill off the game. Norm, uh, if, 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 
Yep. I would agree. They were to do that. I mean, this is, you know, these are just uh, uh, these things like the man on second base, uh, so many other things. These are just things that come from brainstorming meetings without any rationale. By people that didn't play the game. Exactly. Here, 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 here's the, here's the crux. Here's the whole problem with it. Mike, you watched six pitches. I watched zero. It's a World Series game. I would consider, I did consider myself a baseball lifer. Um, nobody wants to watch this more than I do. And I won't watch it. I will, I have people, I had people at my son's football game said, hey, are you going to watch the World Series? No, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I, and I haven't. I have not watched more than probably three innings of a baseball game this year, and that's only because it was on the restaurant bar we go to to get a hamburger at night sometimes. Um, if I'm not watching it, if you're not watching it, who is watching it? Good question. And sooner or later, that entire revenue stream is going to be gone, and they you dry up. You have you have to address the issues. You, you can't pretend everything's okay. You, you can't. You have to address those issues. You have to do something, even if it's wrong. You have to do something. Um, I would think you would want to get some people that are like us, diehard conservative baseball purists, and some people on the other side that, that have some innovative ideas. Um, and there's a lot of people that own minor league clubs that, that – that have really good ideas, um, you know, that, that made things work with 1,500 people in the stands at night. Right. Um, how about go hire some of those people and figure out why people come to your games? Why? why? And how did you get more people there? And, and what do you do to promote things? And um, It's like they're throwing darts. Uh, and, and they don't even know where the dartboard is. They do uh, MLB. They, aside from uh, I mentioned Chris Young, and I know they they do have a couple of other former players on staff. But the problem becomes uh, whatever input those former players uh, might try to make, they are whistling in the wind because the yeah. people in the upper echelon think that we are in baseball, we know baseball, uh, when in fact uh, they're. Uh, college products uh, who happen to take a course in analytical theory or something and think they can apply it to the game. So and they don't have a fucking clue. They don't uh, less, have less a fucking trust, clue. Trust me, by my experience, less than that. Uh, <laughs> we gotta I mean, look, if, if I had a business that ran porta cans, I, I don't, I, I need somebody that knows porta cans. If mm -hmm. I had a business that fixed, Airplane motors. I, I, I want a guy that fixes airplane motors to be involved. Yeah. If I have a plumbing company, I, I'm not going to go out and hire some kid that's fresh out of Harvard to run my business. I'm going to go hire the kid that came up through my ranks and got his master's plumber license working for me after crawling under houses and fixing people's sewer pipes. That's <laughs> the guy I want because he knows the deal. His hands that's the guy I'm going to listen to. When I make decisions, I may not, I, I may not do what he has to do, but I'm sure as hell going to listen to him because he knows the deal. I don't exactly. see that happening 
in major league organizations. Uh, man, I have a, I have a great fondness for the Seattle organization and I have watched them step on their neck year after year after year with the hiring of non-baseball people. Hmm. They brought some lady in there to be a trainer and, and basically ran the trainers out. That's not, no, she no, was the, you need a, you need a baseball person in there. He was the director of high performance uh, by title. Uh, as if, as if, uh, you know, as if they had a director of low performance. Low performance, exactly. We, we don't, we don't need a person with a title. We need a person with some job skills and, and a person that understands that baseball is a baseball player's injuries are not like football and they're not like basketball and they're not like track and they're not like hockey. They're like baseball. And to do that, you need a person that's been around baseball and involved in baseball. And I believe the same thing needs to happen with the people that run the game. Mm -hmm. uh, a commissioner needs to bring in some of those so-called smart people from Harvard, or I would like to think Rice, where I went, but he also needs to bring in a bunch of people that ran the game. How about some formal general managers? How about some former players? How about some former minor league advertising execs? How about bring those guys in and set them around a round table and take advice from them and take ideas from them? Not a bunch of people that, never played the game. It's not working. It's not working. No, it is not working. And uh, it occurs to me, Norm, that uh, hearkening back to the teams that you were with, uh, I think today the nature of ownership has changed as well. You no longer have the type of owners, in my opinion, that you used to have. Now it becomes an investment. Now it's franchise value. Now how much revenue can we generate? And the rest of the game in terms of the dignity and the loyalty uh, that uh, was the game for so very long is now falling by the wayside. Yeah, but isn't your franchise value going to go up if you win? And if you win, don't you need people that understand the game? Uh, look, if I had a company that sold mailboxes, um, if I have people that build mailboxes and people that sell mailboxes, my company's worth a lot more mm -hmm. if we sell a lot of mailboxes. Uh, I would think your your franchise value would be worth a lot more. I mean, I would I, I just can't imagine what Seattle the Seattle Mariners would be worth with three World Series titles instead of a postseason drought. I just don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand the, how that would not affect your value. I, I just there's just lots of I don't know. Color me stupid, but I don't get a lot of it. No, I think the, the point is that uh, uh, at the ownership level and with the focus on the financial, uh, they, uh, they see that as being a large portion of the current commissioner's job to generate revenue. Uh, but in generating the revenue that they have, they are ignoring the basics of the game and, and the people in it. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Under, exactly. Exactly my point. Uh, so, uh, uh, and, you know, I think that uh, they will have all sorts of rationalizations as to why things happen, how they happen, and so forth, when appreciating the points you've made. They need to get back to basics. Absolutely. They're going to blame everybody else for everything that's happened, and, and they're not going to look in the mirror and say, I don't really care whose fault it is. We need to fix it. What, what, Until they do that, yep. it's going to continue on a downhill slide. 
You know, one of the hardest things I think somebody would ever do is, is say, look, man, we got a problem. It's my fault. Uh, I made the wrong decision, but now let's fix it. And to fix it, we may have to do away with a program that I instituted or a program that I approved of or a program that I pitched everybody, a program that I liked. Um, somebody's got it. Somebody over there has to figure out that what they're doing is not working. Um, I guess. I mean, if we're talking a billion dollar revenue stream for the playoffs, maybe it is working. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we are just old dinosaurs that hate to see the game that we were involved in become nothing more than a entertainment business in a revenue stream. It's working norm for the moment. Right. Uh, but I think yeah. there are signs there, even if it be in terms of the declining attendance that they've got a lot of problems and they'd better address them and correct them uh, before they, as we used to say, find out the hard way, that a lot of their revenue streams are going to dry up because there is no interest. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. Rome, Rome is burning Mike and uh, Rob Manfred is fiddling. He's playing the pot of Nero right now. I think is what we got. <laughs> well, it'll only, uh, and I am a harsh critic of, of Rob Worked with him for a number of years. Uh, I, again, maybe a fine labor lawyer, uh, but by my experience, uh, I found him to be, uh, you know, less than, top of the file in terms of, of baseball concern for the game, et cetera. But, uh, you know, don't worry, it won't be long before we have a world series champion and he'll be in the locker room presenting yeah. that quote hunk of metal, uh, to whoever winds up winning. Yeah. Yeah. That, that tells you a lot about his baseball knowledge, a hunk of metal. Yeah. Yeah. That's priceless. Yeah. Oh my God. Talk about missing the mark. Uh, guys, uh, just want to, and just bringing it back to uh, maybe a, a good memory, but uh, inter interspersed with, with a comment here. You know, my first memories, I remember the 67 World Series. And of course, I went to my first game with my grandfather that year. I got great memories of the possible dream of the 67 Red Sox. But the I'm going to be talking to Denny McLean this week. And the 67 World Series the next year, I remember vividly. And you had a, in the year of the pitcher, you had a prime pitching matchup. Uh, I understate that in game one. You had Bob Gibson with a 1.12 ERA, and you had Denny McLean who won 31 games that year, and I can remember that vividly. Uh, in terms of fans trying to identify with players now and the, as I say, the LaRusseization of baseball, the specialization of baseball, you know, what a marquee matchup. Game one of the World Series, much CTV, you know, that one, Gibson, McLean, it couldn't have gone any higher. Now, guys, we got openers that come in and face three guys or they get three outs and it's like, you look tired, go get a shower, you're done for the night. I mean, could that be any more corrupt or blatantly ludicrous as we think back to what's happened to the game and the difficulty? I mean, you know, guys, I re related to starting, sorry, Norm, no, but I related to starting pitches, you know, a pitching matchup from the outset of a game. We're even denied that now when we look at what's happened in the World Series with openers pitching the first inning of the World Series, and then they're, they, they're MIA, they disappear. It's bizarre. It's <laughs> bizarre. And, the, the, you know, the game is going to evolve, and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe, hey, if you got if you, if you to carry so many pitchers on the roster that everybody comes in and pitches one inning and we have an hour and 59-minute game and it works, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. 
That's right. But once again, people are not going to be able to identify with right with free agency. I mean, you're not going to know who's on your team year to year to year to year. You're not going to you're not going to go spend two hundred dollars on that jersey that says Charlton on the back because you don't really know who he is. You don't you know he's going to be here next year. You don't identify with him, and you're going to go. You know what? I'm going to do something else. Yep. I'm going to go do. I'm going to go watch something else. I'm going to go spend my money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It just becomes people are doing. Yep. It's just rooting for laundry and you don't really identify. I mean, I think as a Red Sox fan, I mean, my God, if I had the two of them in the room right now with me, I, I would genuflect before I'd do anything with Louis Tian and Pedro Martinez, just to name two that I absolutely was enthralled with at two different points in my life and watching those guys and knowing every fourth or fifth day that they were going to be on the mound. And and that was that was appointment TV or it was appointment that I happen to have the tickets that night with the guys that I share my season tickets with. I'm going to get to see Pedro tonight. It was something really special. Um, We've lost, among other things, we've lost that guys, you know, which is, which is a shame. There's not that identity factor, Mike, which is, which is really sad. Agreed. And, you know, I, I don't know how many people uh, really, if you ask someone, the man, the proverbial man on the street, uh, name your five favorite current, major league players, uh, I don't know how many people would really be able to get to five outside of Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and maybe, you know, a few others. But uh, you become hard-pressed. You have to start giving it a little bit of thought rather than just rattling off as one might have been able to do in years past. Mm -hmm. Yep. Guys guys of our age could probably name five starting pitchers that have the possibility of throwing a no-hitter their next time out right that doesn't that that's right you can't name you can't name five players today mm-hmm. and, and that's how involved we were in the game because the game was interesting and we followed mm-hmm. we watched and we followed a complete yeah. game no hitter no less did i say complete game my god i am a dinosaur how can i say yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. that's heresy uh as, as we wrap it up, guys, let's try to wrap up on a, a little bit more positive note. I'm going to go, I'll go around the, uh, the panel here. Um, I've talked, you know, about my first memories and my first baseball memories are ingrained with the Fall Classic and the World Series in 1967 and 1968. And uh, the headline, the day I was born was, uh, conveniently for my uh, animosity toward the Yankees, the day I was born, the headline was Mazeroski beats Yankees. So that'll tell you how old I am, Mike, uh, historical point. Uh, but uh, Mike, uh, first World Series memory for you, my friend, Mike, when you think back, I'm sure you have one growing up in California, the first time that you were really kind of aware of the magnitude of what the World Series was then when you were growing up. Well, it would have been the 1959 World Series, uh, Dodgers and White Sox, Bernie, because uh, uh, before baseball came to the West Coast, the minor league, AAA, San Diego Padres were the, uh, uh, in the Pacific Coast League, and they were closest to the uh, town where I grew up. Uh, when the Dodgers came west, uh, Duke Snyder happened to move to my hometown, uh, and so certainly uh, I gravitated to, to the Dodgers, and uh, I remember that series well, when uh, a lot of little things were done in terms of strategy and execution by both clubs something that you no longer see within the game. Right, indeed. Uh, Norm, to you, you uh, first World Series, you probably have a first World Series memory where this was a big deal to you as a young baseball-loving kid growing up. 75, 76 Reds. There you go. Uh, so they, they, were, they were my favorites. Um, and I was a little kid back then. And, you know, 
That's that's who it was. Yep, the great eight. Yep, the great great dynasty with the, with the big red machine. Uh, fi final word here. What do we do with the postseason, guys? Uh, one wild card, two wild cards. Mike, what, what do you think as far as uh, looking to 2021 and beyond? What, what do you think is fair? What do you think will be something to move forward that will continue to give us a playoff-worthy team and not – I mean, if you look at the proposal right now that's on the table, there is a possibility. You know, they're talking about the 2022 when the collective bargaining expires next year. Norm, I don't know if you're aware of it, but they're talking about four wild cards and three division winners. So we are talking about a, a third-place team conceivably winning a World Series, which would be, you know, I just think would be catastrophic. It would be a, a, a blemish on the game. But, Mike, as you see it moving forward, the one, two wild card, what are you comfortable with uh, for the future? I think we would be best served by going back to the one wild card, uh, yeah. again, believing that a uh, nothing terribly radical but as a first step. And, and uh, again, I'm not a big fan of the wild card. Uh, but I don't want to move too quickly. So going back to one wild card would seem to be prudent. Uh, however, uh, I'm happy to hear that uh, you mentioned that there might be four wild cards because that would be a great market for the t-shirts that I will have made up uh, that I will send to the teams that are bounced out reading, we could not win our division, but we have a chance to win the World Series. <laughs> I like it. No Norm, to you, uh, one, two, I like, you know, you were I'd like the, I like the one wild card. It, it, it keeps okay. teams that are out of it uh, in it. You know, it, 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 if somebody semi runs away with the division, it, it, and, you know, you're, you, you're going to have a wild card team that's going to have a better record than somebody that may, than, that, than somebody that may win their division. So I like the one wild card. Um, once again, we're dinosaurs in this day and age. My little boy goes to his little league um, post. I mean, at the end of the year party um, for, with all the teams and everybody gets the trophy. I'm like, well, well, well how are we going to have a party? How, how are we going to have closing ceremonies before we know who won? I get it. So, I don't know. Maybe we play 162 games and everybody makes the playoffs and we have a little round-robin tournament and go on from there. It really – Four wild card teams really diminishes the importance of a 162 game season. And, and, and you know what? And baseball, baseball playoffs are great, but baseball is about the 162 game season. Absolutely. That's what it's about. That's what people go to see. Yep. The 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 playoffs is the icing on the cake. That's the cream puff. But people go to see the 162 games. That's that's what baseball is proving yourself over 162 games as opposed to everybody makes it. Mike, we can have – I can hear it now at MLB. I'm giving them their marketing. October Madness, tune in. Everybody makes yeah. the playoffs. The you field know? of 64. It'd be field just like 60. NCAA basketball. Exactly. We'll mm -hmm. call it October Madness. Uh, Mike, a final, final word to you, sir, as we wrap up for uh, the first of what will hopefully be several editions of the old ball game. But uh, I'll give you a final word and then Norm. Well, I just think that, uh, you know, baseball is, uh, like so many other things, is going to change over, over time. But I, I think that change has been accelerated uh, to, a, to a needless degree. Uh, people have forgotten the basics, and it's affecting the, the current generation in terms of interest uh, and their capability to really play the game the way it needs to be played. Norm? 
Bernie, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be really positive. Okay. Okay. I'm positive. I'm positive. Baseball has problems. They got big problems, but I believe they're fixable. Mm -hmm. The good news is I believe they're fixable. If you get baseball people in the right positions, I believe the problems are fixable. Mm -hmm. We, we can only hope uh, as uh, three uh, committed, uh, devoted, diehard uh, baseball dinosaurs uh, fearing extinction, but uh, being, trying to stay positive in the pandemic here. Guys, thanks very much for joining me. And uh, I hope we can do this again. We talked postseason. God knows there's a number of other things we can talk about on future programs. And we'll schedule another one. I'd love to have you guys back. Uh, thanks once again. Thank you to Mike Port. Thank you to Norm Charlton. And... Uh, We'll, uh, hopefully we'll do it again. Thank you to Andy Bernstein, my executive producer, uh, Todd and Kiwan out in Seattle, our West Coast crew. And uh, for everybody, uh, this is Bernie Corbett saying one, two, three, and you're in at the old ball game.